Well, hello there. It is great to see you again, and welcome back to the latest installment of Lessons by the Lake, the Oswego Private Wealth Show. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff, and as always, we have the Managing Director of Oswego Private Wealth in Mr. Bob Dredis joining us. We're going to dive into another wealth management topic. That's what we do each time we get together here on the show, but we've got a special guest with us today. We're going to take a little different approach here on today's show, but before we bring them on, I want to kind of set the scene, frame it up for you a little bit today. I want you to, you know, especially if you're a, a regular listener or viewer of the show, you're familiar with these conversations that Bob and I have. How many times have we talked about the importance of utilizing a network of professionals to help manage your portfolio, to build that true wealth plan around you and your assets and really your personal and professional life as a whole? Well, that's what we're doing today. We're bringing on a really special guest to Mr. Michael Beck. Michael Beck is the president of Eliciting Excellence, you know, a professional partner, networker that, you know, works hand in hand with Bob uh, on a lot of different things. We're going to learn about what those might be today. And, you know, we're going to dive into what Michael's role specifically is for these clients and really the great work that he and his team over at Eliciting Excellence are doing on a regular basis. So with that being said, let's go ahead and bring the guys on. Bob, Michael, it's great to see you guys today. How are we doing? Morning. Good morning. Good good day, Ryan. It's nice to see you. So. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. Great to great to be with you guys today. Excited to have you aboard, Michael. We got a good conversation we're going to get into today. Uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of our discussion, I think it might be worthwhile, uh, Bob, if you could share with us, you know, how your relationship with Michael and his company, Listening Excellence, how that began, and and the types of things that you guys have been, you know, working on together. Wow, perfect. Thank, thank you, Ryan. Well, first of all, let me introduce Michael. For is uh, professionally, he's the uh, he's an executive strategist. He's an author. He's the president of Eliciting Excellence, and he's has a firm that for over twenty years now has been specializing in executive coaching and and uh, helping leaders get paid and helping helping business owners get paid. And he's done uh, working effectively with leaders, developing smarter strategies, making better decisions. Um, as background, Michael's got an, a Wharton MBA, uh, as well as an engineering degree from the University of Pennsylvania. And he works with a wide range of clients domestically and internationally from diverse industries like construction, financial services, manufacturing, distribution, healthcare, technology, defense. And in his work, uh, Michael offers assessments and executive coaching, all designed to help successors succeed and owners get paid. And so Michael was introduced to me by another good friend of ours, somebody who I actually hope we can get on a future show who works in the area of public accounting and within his accounting practice, uh, Don Beelan is the person who introduced us and we're going to have Don on our show. Uh, Don works with privately held and family businesses, helping them make smart decisions from an accounting and from a risk standpoint. And so he introduced us, and Michael's also the founder of a group called Professional 50. And Professional 50 is a network of some of the best business transition professionals in the Pacific Northwest, I'd say even in the, in the country. And that's like business brokers, business valuation, due diligence experts, governance, investment bankers, M&A, attorneys, uh, high-end CPAs. And then with, and within that framework, of course, uh, I, I'm within the framework of the professional 50 in wealth management and family office services for our, our clients. And then Michael does his coaching, successor development and success, succession recruiting 
uh, all within that framework. But Michael's our leader. Michael leads Professional 50, which is just a terrific group of high-end elite professionals, the kind of people on our virtual family office we love to have on our team. Yeah, Michael, we, we appreciate you jumping into that. I mean, anything does that all resonate uh, with what Bob had thrown out to you? Well, and, it, and it's even accurate. No, uh, guys, I, uh, I appreciate being here. Uh, yeah, uh, I got introduced to Bob and we had an instant connection. Uh, I like his philosophies about how he helps people and uh, the work he does. And he's always striving to do more and more to help folks, which, of course, is why he's also a member of that Pro 50 group that we have. Um, yeah. And so uh, I, I appreciate being invited to uh, join you all. Yeah, yeah, we got a great conversation teed up, and we're going to get into your world here, Michael. Let's 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 dive head first in, Michael. First kind of question uh, to you is that you personally have seen some interesting insights about some boomer-owned businesses as you've been working and networking your way throughout the country. Tell us a little bit about these insights and what you've been seeing on your end. Oh yeah, you, you bet, Ryan. Good question. I. Um... I and we work around the country and I network around the country and years ago did a bit of research into the whole boomer owned business picture and found some interesting things. Um, the SBA says there are about 6 million boomer owned employee employers. In other words, they have employees, sorry, 6 million small ones. 60% are boomer owned, right? And so, you know, about 3.6 million are boomer owned. We'll call the other 2.4 Gen X owned, you know, the sort of the 35 to 55 year old folks. And um, also I found a, a spreadsheet on the US census site of population by age. And so if you take roughly a nine, that 19 year span of boomer, the boomer era, and you add up population, it turns out about four and a half percent of boomers own a business. If you take the 19 years below that and add that population divided into the remaining small businesses, it turns out about 3%. So about 3% of Gen Xers own a business. And so the fact that, you see, the, the fact that they're kind of close, I don't think is very surprising. And in fact, I, I, I think as, um, as, that the Gen Xers get a bit older, that 3% is going to rise probably to about 4.5%. And so it's not surprising until you think about it a little deeper, and then it becomes alarming. Yeah, so you mentioned this being alarming. Uh, talk to me, why, why is that? I mean, that's a great word. Why is it alarming in your eyes there, Michael? Well, th thanks, uh, Ryan. Here's the thing. Here's why it's alarming. That rise from three to four and a half percent only represents one third of the boomer businesses. And that means two thirds of boomer businesses will not find an individual buyer. It's simply math. And so uh, I think many owners who feel they're going to be able to easily sell might be surprised. 
Yeah, and in so many instances, I mean, you work so hard for to create a business of value, and then you you know you look forward to retirement. Bob and I have talked on our show a lot about the that idea of life beyond retirement, even uh, and and maybe the sale or acquisition of a business. So to hear that you know the the rates and the abilities for for buyers out there is rather seldom for boomers. I, I hear the alarming ability there uh, that pops into the question here, but Michael. What about like any sort of strategic acquisitions or, or, or private equity firms that could even come into play? Do, have, do those factor in? Yeah, yeah, well, of course, and another good insight. Uh, and, and I hear, and I'm sure Bob has heard as well, there's so much money chasing deals out there. And fair enough. But here's the thing. There are two things. Number one, they're not going to throw good money at a poor deal. And number two... Again, I've done further research and asking around and looking up on that internet thing they talk about, um, it, it, it turns out about 15 to 25% of all deals on the market close, only 15 to 25%. And so for generous and say 25% of all those, those uh, businesses out there that are looking for a buyer, 25% close it still leaves 75% of the two thirds that didn't find that individual buyer. And the math shows that that leaves a full 50% of boomer owned businesses won't find an individual buyer, a a strategic acquisition or get funded. And so I find it alarming. Now there are things we can do to help uh, clients and that's what we do. But I think it's important for owners to understand that procrastinating right now is not very smart because I think we're going to see some uh, interesting fallout from this growing surplus. Yeah, Michael, Ryan, if I could just interject something here and why this topic is so near and dear to my heart. And by the way, as Michael and I have been talking, and if you go to Michael's website, you can see just some white papers and some reports on things like that. Uh, but this particular report that he's entitled Planning on Selling Your Business, question mark, think again. The reason it's so near and dear to my heart is because those of you who know my story, um, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, my father, uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, he ultimately, and he worked in the M&A space and he bought and sold restaurants and bars, and that was the work that he did. When my father was ready to step away, he simply closed down the business for lack of of really being able to pursue a a good buyer. And that's, I can't help thinking, had he been surrounded by professionals like Michael and gotten better advice, things would have been different. Now, he was very successful. He did well. He lived a a great life uh, in retirement. But nonetheless, I believe things could have been different had he had more better advice. And this topic right here of uh, is really powerful in my mind. And it, to use Michael's word, it's alarming. And I know a lot of people, particularly as we've gone through COVID these last few years, we have supply chain issues, we have regulatory issues, we have uh, uh, employee engagement issues as this, as this new world order that's changing all around us. Um, we, don't want, we don't want our business owners, our clients, our friends to be the last one out the door uh, because I think there's really a dramatic risk of 
of something of not doing the planning at this stage. So I'll turn it back over to, to you guys on that. So. Sure. Yeah. No, really interesting topic here. I mean, and there are so many elements at play, right? When, when you're going through that process of preparing your business for sale, it can be a little daunting in some instances, but Michael, you had mentioned that percentage of, 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 of boomers that, aren't able to really to find a prospective buyer. Are we seeing any sort of effects of that percentage of that surplus really? Um, so Ryan, th that's a good insightful question. And the answer, fortunately for owners is no, not yet. I mean, um, typically in our minds, we, we often think of retirement age of be as being 65. But I've noticed something over the years, and uh, people have explained why the boomer wave hasn't really kicked in that silver tsunami. And uh, they've had different theories. Uh, I, I predicted when it would start, and I, so I think my approach is right. And that is that way back when, uh, life expectancy was about 70 years old, and people were retiring at 65. Well, now life expectancy is much closer to 80, and consequently they're retiring 10 years later, 75. Well, the leading edge of the baby boom turned 75 last year, and so this wave has started. And as I talk to advisors around the country, um, they're reporting a significant uptick in activity. And this is going to grow and grow and grow over the next four or five years and then stay up there for about 10 years. The, 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 the thing we're talking about, that, that surplus, is going to kick in in a, in a greater and greater fashion. And then once it's in, uh, that's what you have to deal with. And so um, uh, I, I think, you know, if you're working with somebody like Bob, anyone else, an accountant, a uh, wealth manager, or an estate planner, acting sooner is far better than acting later because there are going to be some significant negative implications to this growing sur surplus. Sure, sure. So th when you say some of these negative implications, r rattle a few off for us, if you don't mind. I mean, as somebody goes through this process, prepares for it, I mean, they should be aware of some of these implications that exist. What, what do you see on this end? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the implications are a little different, whether you're looking at an internal or an external sale. So I, I talk about external sales as being exits. And so uh, there are a few things that happen. As the surplus grows, multiples, you know, they take the value of a company and they, they apply a multiple to it to, to uh, establish a price. Multiples are going to be dropping, number one. Number two is with so many buy, uh, sellers to choose from, buyers are going to be much more selective. Meaning if you go to market and everything isn't just right, buyer's gonna move on to somebody else. And the third thing is that with so much on the market, buyers will start to become more demanding. You know, they may, they may require you to stay on for several years or um, change the terms of the payout or something. And so the, the sooner you act, the less you're going to be subject to those. When it comes to internal sales or successions, um, there's some really interesting and sometimes not obvious uh, challenges. Yes, if the successor doesn't do well, you have a successor, they don't do well, they miss payments. Here are the things that can happen. 
Of course, you may have to come out of retirement to uh, run the company once more and then resell it. And that's not fun in and of itself. But here are the other interesting things. Number one, of course, is you no longer have a successor. And the further we go into this wave, and as other companies are trying to find successors when they can't sell, it's going to be harder and harder to find that good person. Number two is that, um, of course, there's going to be a smaller field to choose from. Um, by, by the very nature that the payments have been missed, it means the company's not doing as well, which means the value now is lower. And so even if you go out to the market to sell, you're going out with a much lower value than you did many years ago when you first handed the keys over. And then like we, we just talked about previously, with, with so many sellers on the market, you'll have a harder and harder time closing that deal. And, um, and so it, it's going to be a, a bit of a challenge. The, 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 the upshot of that is it's pretty important to get it right going in. So in other words, have the right successor, make sure they're fully developed so you maximize the chance they succeed. Don't screw it up because if it happens, uh, it's not looking pretty. Sure, sure. So, I mean, you're saying action, take action, but at the same time, you got you, you, you get more or less one shot at this. You want to make sure that your plan is is in place. It's effective. Everybody's feeling good about it so that the sale, the acquisition uh, can be a successful maneuver, to, you know, in, incomplete. Um, but Bob, what, you know, we've talked about, you know, the human element. We talk about it a lot on this show and where it comes into play in all aspects of wealth management. In your eyes, Bob, and maybe some conversations that you've had with, you know, current clients, maybe past clients even, where do you see the human element coming into play with these types of conversations? You know, a client comes in and wants to start that dialogue, shall we say, about selling the business. Maybe they're interested in doing it. Talk, talk me through what those conversations look like from your side of the table as you work with clients. Well, I love, I love that question. And I actually would like to loop Michael into this because this is in the sure. heart and soul of, of both not just my work, but his, but his work. And within that human element, I think the one thing that differentiates me and my and my firm uh, from most other wealth managers, financial advisors, and it is that I deeply understand that this is a, about so much more than money, and so does Michael because Michael talks about and we've had we've had deep conversations on this as we as we talk about um, as we talk about what the the work we're doing and how we're helping people together, and you know everybody talks about the quality of earnings. Right, the quality of earnings. Well, Michael digs deeply into the quality of leadership and then coaches along that success for su successor plan and the leadership within the company. And I'd like to I'd like to just toss it over to Michael and, and ask him to talk a little bit about quality of leadership and the work kind of work that he does in this area. Oh, oh thanks, Bob. So uh, it's interesting. I, I developed this uh, several years ago. Uh, and I coined it a quality of leadership report. It's comparable to quality of earnings. Um, and one of the reasons I developed this, it's where we uh, do an assessment on all the key leaders in the company, put it in a consolidated report so it's easy for an owner or prospective buyer to review. One of the reasons I've done that is because, uh, again, my research has shown that the value of a company can be affected as much as 20% by the strength of the leadership team. 
And um, I, I just wanted to add on to what Bob mentioned. Uh, again, in surveys that have been done, most owners are not simply interested in the, the, the dollars, the value of the company. They have a true concern for um, the, the welfare of their employees and their employees' families. They have a true concern for their customers and they want to make sure they're continued to be well taken care of. And uh, in many cases, when it's uh, an, you know, within a, a family succession, they want to keep the business going in the family. They want to create a legacy. So it's, it's far more than just money. Yeah, and this is so fascinating. This is such, this is such, so interesting to do because one of the things that we, as we go through our questions and the things that we, we talk to the leaders, the, the owners, as they're preparing for succession and, and starting to think about it, we, we assess what kind of a leader are you? And I think I actually talked about this on our, on our last podcast. Are you a command and control? Are you a more collaborative leader? Have you really loosened the reins? Um, as I think I joked about the last time, you don't just hand the keys to your successors and say, I'm going fishing, I'm going golfing. <laughs> I've got a tennis game at two o'clock today. You know, it's like, you, you just don't can't walk away like that. And I think there's some deep work that needs to be done at times uh, for a leader, the owner to assess, have they prepared their team appropriately? Are, what kind of a leader are they? What have they been? And sometimes that's, that's as deep of work as developing the successors. Sure. And, and, you know, there's, as we had mentioned, there's a lot of moving pieces within the sale of a business as a whole. Michael, you know, Bob and I, we talk a lot about on this show is the importance of that of that team of professionals around somebody's wealth, you know, being able to work in harmony in tandem with each other uh, and, and just be able to communicate effectively so that everybody's on the same page. Could you speak a little bit to the importance of that from your side uh, of, of the table? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, frankly, we often get brought in what I call downstream. In other words, they're working with their advisors. I want that client to understand that advisor is the rock star in this. And so we always loop the advisor in when we work with clients because they often have even more insight into some of the challenges the, the owner has, has or has created. Oh, I was going to be careful with the wording on that, right? And so they can, I often get insight from the advisor onto how, how best to help the successor or the leaders and, and frankly, sometimes I get brought in to work with the owner on how to let go, how to hand off stuff, how to, uh, how to further develop the successor. Because there are some things that I can't do as an executive coach. I can't allow the successor to make a decision. Only the owner can. Only the owner can um, reemphasize the, the culture and define the culture of the company. So often we're all working as a team on this yeah and i want to emphasize what michael just said uh we find most of the time business owners do not have a coordinated team underline the word team of elite professionals working around them they have a cpa they have a business attorney they might have an estate planning attorney they might have a, a financial advisor but they might not even know each other let alone being being working together and I think that's, that is significant uh, that the team come in early, that there is a coordinated team. And that's what Pro 50 is all about, what Michael's created there. And that's what our virtual family office 
uh, framework at Oswego Private Wealth is all about is having the right people come in as appropriate, but as early as they should be coming in, not after the the proverbial horse is out of the barn. And how do we uh, how do we stop this? Uh, how do we stop this problem? Sure, guys, this has been a, a really beneficial episode, especially for anybody uh, that may be entertaining that idea of selling their business. You know, Bob, you brought up the white paper that Michael's team had put together planning on selling your business. Think again, a lot of great information within that white paper, and we'll certainly make that available, uh, you know, to our audience on the different platforms when we release this episode. But as we're bringing our conversation to a head here, Michael, could you bottom line it for us today? I mean, surround, you know, this conversation surround the idea of, of selling your business in today's climate uh, any final key takeaways that you might want to leave our, our viewers and our, our listeners with today uh, sure I, I'd be happy to one of course is as I've been saying taking action sooner is better than taking action later but the other thing is I, I, I think increasingly you need to get it right going into the market because you you probably will only get one chance once you go out to the market if, if challenges are uncovered, mistakes, flaws, weaknesses, you're likely will get passed over. And so work with your advisor, do some preliminary work, get a quality of earnings, quality of leadership, make sure it's good and maximize your likelihood of closing a deal. And, and Bob, any, any final thoughts from your side, you know, as the wealth manager that you might want to leave, uh, you might want to leave our audience with today. No, I will just add my amen to what Michael just said. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Michael, you're working very closely with a lot of business owners in this capacity. Uh, you know, obviously you're working closely with Bob, to, you know, to, to move uh, some sales of businesses along. Michael, if anybody out there in our audience is interested in reaching out to you and, and your company, Eliciting Excellence, and learning a little bit more about you guys, or even just maybe opening up a dialogue, uh, what would be the best way they can get in touch with you guys? Well, well, of course, uh, we'd love for them to visit the website, learn about the services, elicitingexcellence.com. Uh, you know, we'll make that available uh, you know, on the screen. But uh, there's a contact form there. Uh, they're welcome to reach out to me directly at mbeck at elicitingexcellence.com as well. Fantastic. Thank you, Michael. Well, hey, we appreciate you carving some time out of your day to be with us. I know you're a busy guy. you got clients to serve. We will let you get back to doing that. But uh, we appreciate you being with us here on, on Lessons by the Lake today. Thanks again for having me as a guest. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Ryan. Of course. And hey, guys, look, we want to say one final goodbye and thank you, of course, to our audience. We appreciate you guys being along with us here for the conversation. If you took anything away from today's discussion surrounding the sale of a business, uh, you know, maybe it benefited you in any way, shape or form. Do us a favor. Leave a comment under the show. Subscribe to it on whichever platform you checked us out on today. And then, of course, share this information with any friends, family, business owners that might be approaching a sale themselves. Uh, you know, anybody that you think would benefit from these conversations. You know, I've, I've said it once before, I'll continue to say it. We're taking the same strategies, solutions, and ultimately just conversations that Bob is having with his clients, that Bob's having with Michael regarding the sale of, you know, businesses. We're bringing all these conversations right here to you guys on this show. And we would hate to have you miss out on any great topics down the road. So for Bob, for Michael, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you guys being with us on today's episode of Lessons by the Lake.
Oswego Private Wealth Management podcast may have been previously disseminated by Bob Adritis on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Bob Adritis or his guest as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only an expression of his or his guest's opinion. Madritus' opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither Oswego Private Wealth Management nor its affiliates warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. Madritus and Oswego Private Wealth Management are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided. Investment advice offered by Oswego Private Wealth Management and does not guarantee any specific outcome or performance. You must make an independent decision regarding investments and strategies mentioned by Bedritus or a guest. Before acting on information you hear, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor. This information is for general purposes only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Oswego Private Wealth Management does not provide legal, tax, mortgage advice, or services. Please consult your legal tax advisor regarding your specific situation.